As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. Prashant, uh, what's going on? How you, how you doing today? What would you think of Red Wings' weekend games against the Panthers? Well, it's a, it's a different episode as we can actually talk about a Red Wings win and somewhat of an exciting Red Wings win, and we can just maybe forget a little bit about the stinker that uh, preceded that one. But overall, I mean, for the Wings to come out one-on-one on a weekend, that's uh, better than most weekends have gone for them. Yeah, the first game Friday night was basically an unmitigated disaster. Uh, I don't think really anything went well in that game. They played poorly. Um, and then obviously afterwards, some really devastating news. The passing of Sergei Chukmara, the team Masur for... Uh, over 20 years passed away. That was a really emotional press conference. One of the most emotional I've ever been in. Extremely sad. And then they come back the next day. And um, in spite of all that and what a difficult 24 hours that must have been, I thought they put together a pretty good game. And the kind of response game that I think certainly the coaching staff will have really been looking to see out of them. I imagine the same deal from the front office. Um, and, and, you know, if you're a Red Wings fan, probably a, a, an encouraging sign. You know, one of the things that you, you um, worried about with this team entering this year was will last season's uh, propensity to snowball and bad times carry over? And I thought in in if there was ever going to be a weekend where it was going to be forgivable for them to really spiral, um, the recipe that you had going by late Friday night was kind of the, that recipe. And so for them to, to respond the way they did, I, I was actually very impressed by yeah, I was actually somewhat nervous because when they started the first period of that second game, I mean, that might have been their worst offensive period of hockey this entire season. And that, I think, was saying something. I think uh, at the end of the first period, if I remember correctly, they had like 0.18 expected goals for. They had like four shots on goal. And it was just it was a really ugly offensive period to watch. And Florida was kind of buzzing around a little bit. They were looking 
somewhat more dangerous. I think they had tripled up the wings and expected goals for uh, in that first period. And so, so they, they sort of flipped a switch. I'd say maybe five or six minutes into the second period, uh, they were able to kick it into another gear. I mean, it, we were approaching the halfway point of the game with the wings having five shots on goal and they all of a sudden turned it up a notch. They were able to start putting more pucks on the net, start getting more dangerous chances. And slowly but surely they started to to chip away at Florida's defense. They did. And and so I think, uh, you know, obviously the highlight of the game was ultimately the second goal, the Matias Broman goal, his first of the season. Um, he, he gets a rebound from Dylan Larkin and delivers maybe the, the best visual that the Rivings have provided everybody this season with his celebration and the million watt smile that he flashed uh, after you know getting his first NHL goal. Well, he was very, very due for, I will add. You know, he had a bunch of opportunities that he just missed on that, that finally uh, he gets to, to go. But overall, I thought that period was just a, a strong, um, you know, showing of, of the kind of team the want to be. And obviously, you hope that you don't have to kind of always have to be responding with that and that sometimes you can be playing from ahead with that kind of situation. But, um, you know, the reality of it is the Ravens probably aren't going to lead uh, emphatically in just about any game this year. And so they're, they're going to have to be able to play like that. And I think they continue to show they're capable of it. And, and now you just, you don't want to see games like Friday night. I think that's the key is, is you want to cut those out as completely as possible. And it, it does happen to teams. I mean, it happened to Calgary this weekend, getting just absolutely rolled by Edmonton. Uh, but you want it to happen as few times as possible. I think that's probably the third or fourth time this season it's happened. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the piggybacking off of what you said there, Max, the first thing I wanted to see was what would have happened if, if Bromay got away from Larkin? Like, were we in for a Tiger Williams kind of celebration where he goes sliding across center ice uh, or, or a Neil Yakupov's type of celebration or – you know, maybe a Timu Solani, you know, throws the stick up in the air and shoots it with the rifle. I really wanted to see what would have happened if uh, if Bromay actually got away from Larkin to do the celebration. I think that one would have been fun. But, you know, I think truth be told, if we're going to be honest in evaluating how that Wings game went, I thought, you know, yes, it was a good response. Yes, they were able to flip the switch in the second period. But as soon as that switch flipped in the second period, I thought it went away again in the third. Uh, outside of Mantha's kind of mini breakaway in with about four minutes left in the third period. I thought the wings were basically uh, another flatline situation, very similar to the, the first period. And I thought they again allowed Florida to kind of take it to them in the second half of the period. So, you know, you walk away, you've got two points in regulation, but you still have to find a way to put together 60 minutes um, because you really were only able to put together uh, one successful period really in, in terms of six periods played against Florida, I thought only one of those was good, but sometimes those are the breaks you need if you're going to play the way the wings want to play. That's a good point. You know, the, the end of the game, especially as Florida pulled their goalie, they got a ton of pressure and, and uh, really a lot of zone time. You know, the Red Wings never really even close to getting an empty netter or anything. You know, they had, they had a couple of minutes chance at it. I mean, um, Florida was very dangerous at the end of that game and, and probably deserved to at least tie it. Um, so the Red Wings can, can count themselves a little fortunate there. But I also think a big part of that is Jonathan Bernier was excellent uh, on Saturday. Yeah, he's something else just watching him in net. And, you know, people talk all the time about the goal support um, that the Red Wings give Jonathan Bernier that they don't necessarily give Thomas Grace. I have to wonder if some component of that is just seeing your goalie consistently make these outstanding saves 
gives you some amount of energy to go out and, and drive play the, the other direction. Uh, cause he was once again, sensational. I think, uh, I mean, we've been seeing this for the better part of a year now, really since December of 2019, when he kind of found his groove, he found out how to play behind the Red Wings defense. And, uh, you know, I think his rebound control is outstanding. His positioning is outstanding. He never appears too aggressive. He always appears square to the shooter. Um, very much in control, very compact. All the changes he's made to his technique over the years really has led to a goaltender that can play behind the Red Wings in this kind of situation. As bad as they were last year defensively and as good as they have been this year defensively, he's been the you know, the perfect goaltender for the Wings behind their system. So another really strong game, another consistent game for him. And He's kind of starting to pull ahead of, of Thomas Grace here in this uh, kind of goalie tandem that we thought would be mostly a 50-50 split. I agree. And I thought by the end of the year entering this season that um, Thomas Grace would pull ahead, not because of anything uh, Jonathan Bernier did, but because Grace is the one who's on a two-year deal. And you wonder if the Red Wings might uh, trade Jonathan Bernier. And so that was certainly a part of that uh, consideration at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, it, it, he's on an expiring contract. So I guess in asking permission to be the buzzkill here. Uh, we've talked about how Jonathan Bernier is kind of perfectly suited to play behind this Red Wings team. Uh, is there a chance that he won't finish the season doing so? I think you have to absolutely have to entertain that idea, particularly if he continues to play as well as he's played. I mean, conventional statistics aren't going to do him justice, uh, you know, looking at just his goals against average and his save percentage. When you really start to dig into you know, the quality of shots he faces, the, the caliber of saves he makes, and you start looking into his metrics a little more. I mean, he's been arguably one of the top 10 goalies in the league since, you know, midway of last season. I think uh, he's a guy where if you're looking at him right now and you're looking at the trade deadline, there's a number of teams who may not be super confident in their goaltending. And uh, at that point you say, hey, do you guys want, um, Jonathan Bernier, you guys want to think about that? Uh, and so you have to at least consider what you might be able to fetch um, in that respect. So uh, I, I'd have to say there's a decent chance he doesn't finish if he plays this way. But at the same time, you could also be the Red Wings and say, he's 32. Um, I could probably squeeze a handful of more years out of him. And maybe you you flip the script and say, does Thomas Grice go somewhere else um, with a plan to kind of re-sign Bernier at the end of the season? Grice does have something that I think is becoming more and more in vogue in the NHL, which is one and a half years on the contract. I mean, we always think of the expiring contract as that premium draft asset, but I think increasingly it's that one and a half years of club control that that has become more appealing because now it's not a pure rental. And especially if you're trading a pick, maybe it's a little bit easier to sell that to your fan base in a, in a world where uh, you know, GMs are are criticized quite harshly for what they give up in, in a trade that the you know the player they're receiving walks at the end of the year. And the Tyler Toffoli deal last year for Vancouver, I think, a prime example. They give up Tyler Madden, and it looks like okay, well, you know, you can live with it because it seems like Toffoli is going to resign, um, but he walks, and now you've given up Tyler Madden, and that's a tough tough thing to swallow. So uh, that's a that's a very good point about Grice. Yeah, I think it'll be. Interesting to say the least, because I think on the last episode, we kind of briefly touched about touched on guys who would be potential trade candidates. And uh, I don't know that we ever really got into the goaltenders as much as we should have, because, again, if you start to see this disparity pop, pop out with 
uh, Bernier being kind of the clear cut guy for the Red Wings, as uh, you know, in your article today, Max, when talking about the goalie prospects, you alluded to uh, really kind of pointed out that Thomas Grice right now is dead last in the NHL and goals saved above expected uh, at all strengths at nearly 11 more goals given up than he should have uh, based on the quality of shots faced. And while most of that for him is driven by uh, the, the power play where he's given up maybe five more goals than he should have when the wings are shorthanded, he's still second worst uh, at even strength. And, and, you know, you contrast that with where Bernier is, where Bernier's again, relatively even kind of giving up exactly as much as he, he should be. And so that's, I think if you see that continue to play out, uh, it's hard to know which direction the wings will go in, but they could really go either way and saying, we'll move the guy with a year and a half and hope teams kind of remember how good Grice was in, in the, uh, on Long Island or on the flip side, you say Bernier's expiring and, uh, there's a team looking for a goalie who's going to get hot on a playoff run. Uh, and maybe they go in that direction. So I'll ask the logical follow-up that everyone listening is going to want to know is if you're trading Jonathan Bernier, what's a reasonable ask for the Red Wings? I mean, Robin Leonard gets moved last year. I don't think Jonathan Bernier is in that tier, but Robin Leonard got a second round pick. Uh, what Malcolm Subban, a prospect, uh, Slava Demon. Uh, I mean, Malcolm Subban, a former first round pick. He's obviously in their mix. Uh, probably their number two this year behind Kevin Lankinen, but a young goalie nonetheless. Um, you know, we obviously certainly would assume that Jonathan Bernier would come in somewhere below that number, but how far below in your mind? I think maybe a second plus, uh, you know, fourth or fifth might get it done for you if you're Detroit, especially if you're talking about, um, you know, him just going for a half season or less. I mean, based on when the trade deadline is this year, there's only a handful of games really afterwards. So it's going to be a playoff contending team that's going to do it. Uh, I think you're looking for for two picks, probably a second and and maybe something a little bit lower in a mid round. Um, that probably is enough to get it done for you for what's going to amount to really a playoff run rental. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, I really think the idea of adding as many second rounders as possible in this coming draft in particular uh, is, a, is a good idea. The Rebels already have three second round picks. They have their own Edmontons and the Rangers. Um you know, obviously to be determined where specifically all of those will fall within the second round, but there are really two ways that this coming draft could go. They could do it this year and there's going to be a lot of limited information, especially the the later into the draft you get. And I think for the Red Wings to have, uh, you know, some scouts like Hawken Anderson in Europe and, and obviously Chris Draper's pretty well regarded for how much he's able to kind of get around and how much ground he's able to cover in scouting these guys you want to give your scouts uh, that you trust 
those swings at guys that maybe are falling out of where they might go if, if teams had more information on, uh, on them. Alternatively, if the draft gets pushed back, well, now you have one of the first two or three picks in, in that draft where you're going to have information about guys who it's going to be by then painfully obvious should have gone in the first round. And, and you see this every single year. You know, with the 2019 draft, maybe it's, you know, Arthur Kaliev and Nils Hoagland, or I don't know who it is necessarily from this most recent draft quite yet. Um, but, you know, every year it happens and you see guys and you go, oh, that guy maybe should have gone earlier. Well, if the Red Wings are picking top two or three, they're going to have that, that chance to get that guy and they're going to have some bonus picks that, that they maybe pick up uh, through this process. And and they're able to just find some of these guys earlier, not having to, to have quite so much uncertainty by then because you're doing it as a 19-year-old draft. So... I think this is the draft to have as many second and third rounders as possible. And yeah, I completely agree. I mean, again, you know, to the point you said, I mean, having the opportunity to take four of these picks, especially when we're still waiting to hear, I guess, what's going to happen with the draft. Uh, again, if you're able to make these decisions and get these picks in line before that even gets pushed back, uh, I think that's a, a huge advantage for the Red Wings. And you know, in either scenario, whether it's you don't have the time to scout players and guys slip or you do have the time to scout players and uh, you have the better opportunity to, to make your good picks, uh, I think it leaves the wings in a really advantageous situation. So I think being able to move a guy like Bernier, if you can net a second round pick there, uh, I think really offers you a lot of opportunities. For me, a second round pick is kind of usually the threshold where if 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 you can get a second round pick for a guy as a rebuilding team, it's usually worth uh, really strongly considering. Uh, if you can't, then I'm then I'm hesitant. And so, you know, I think the other thing that factors in here is the Red Wings are going to need to sign a free agent goalie anyway this offseason. And Bernier would be very high on, if not at the very top of the list to do that. And so uh, as, my, as my dog whines about the mere notion of losing Jonathan Bernier... Uh, that's not a bad option either. Yeah, I mean, it, it remains to be seen if the Wings want to go down this Bernier path, but I think either way, whether it's Bernier or Grace, I think you have to make the consideration at the trade deadline that uh, if you, if you want to move one of those guys, uh, your threshold should probably be getting at least a second back. I think for Grace, you could even consider more, especially if he, he finds his game having that extra year and a half uh, kind of tagged to his contract. Yep. All right. Um, I mean, that's kind of the main thrust of the the bulk of this episode today uh, that I had planned, at least just a little recap of the series and, and especially about Bernier. But um, let's just do a few mailbag ones here and, and we can spend a little more time on those maybe than we normally would, would be able to do. So I know you put out a call. Did any, uh, any in there jump out to you so far? I think just kind of starting with a couple of the items in the news, you know, the I think probably the major item that most Wings fans uh, care about right now. So Noah Papalardo mentioned, you know, is Raymond's elbow injury, anything to worry about long-term, uh, you know, Max, you may have more information on this than I do. I think everything I've seen thus far is just suggesting potentially a fractured elbow out eight weeks, um, but no considerations for any sort of long-term problems from that. Yeah. I uh, unfortunately do not have any more info on this as of right now um, than what you said. And, and obviously Steve Eisman talked to the what was it? The Detroit Economic Club today. I wasn't able to be on that Zoom call because I had to go get my car from the mechanic. And so I had to miss that. And so uh, I don't have exactly what the quote was there, but I'm sure, you know, it's out there on the on, on Twitter. You can find it. I know Helene St. James from the Free Press tweeted about it. Um, so so there's that. And, and I don't know the specific details of the injury. And, and even if I did, honestly, I'm not a doctor who could tell you. Uh, how serious it was, but you never want your top prospect to be injured in general. 
and you really, really don't want your top prospect to to miss. You know, if, if, if like you said, eight weeks. I mean, that's that's a significant stretch of time. Um, that's going to include at least the first month of the playoffs or close to it in the SHL, and and so that may end his season ultimately because he's a key player for Forlunda. Um, and so that certainly is is it's negative news. There's no way around that. Yeah, I mean, definitely negative news. Definitely stuff you don't want to see. I mean, if you're always looking for that silver lining, it looks like Forlunda is going to you know, trying to pull Theodore Niederbach back to Frolunda from um, his loan to Moto in the All-Svenskin. So potentially he gets a a larger role, um, you know, with, with Frolunda now that he may play in a, in a higher spot uh, with, with Raymond's injury. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge bummer. Raymond, you know, I think a lot of people were really excited with the draft, didn't necessarily put up the point totals um, that people were hoping to see in almost kind of an explosive manner, but uh, I think he still looked really, really good at times uh, this year. And so kind of a bummer if this does end up being the end of his uh, season. Yeah, I, I think he's an excellent player. And and I know that maybe the eye-popping totals weren't there. He didn't get the Elias Patterson draft plus one season that I'm sure people would have loved, uh, statistically speaking. But, um, you know, he's he looks like a very good player. And especially everyone saw him at the World Juniors. To me, he was Sweden's best player. And so... Uh, I, I still think you're, you're very high on Lucas Raymond based on what he's done so far this year. And it certainly would have been good for the Red Wings to, to give him a little more time to really have that chance to, to truly pop. But, you know, as long as this doesn't have any um, lingering long-term effects and, and with an arm, I kind of have a hard time seeing how it would. Um, then I, I don't think it's, it's anything to, to lose a ton of sleep over. It's just really too bad that it happened. Yeah, completely agree. All right. I saw, um, Darren Young asked about the reasoning for having Svechnikov on the taxi squad when they're not playing him and wouldn't he be better served playing games in the AHL? I've gotten this one several, several times in the last few days. And and the answer is yes. I mean, they they would be better off to name to the AHL if they're not going to play him. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what the situation is here. They were very banged up last week. And, and so they had a bunch of guys who it was kind of questionable. Domestikov, I think, did miss a game. Helm was questionable. Gagne missed a game. They obviously had to go 11 and seven one night. And that kind of tells you that they were more committed to, you know, going 11 and seven than they were playing Svechnikov. What could have very easily happened is if Helm had not played, they would have needed Svechnikov because you're not going to go 10 and eight, um, but that didn't happen. And so I am just kind of waiting for them to send Svechnikov back down at this point. I did ask about it today. Um, So I've, I've asked, but I didn't get a very good answer about what the plan is there. And so they're, they're taking it day by day. Um, and, and that's probably due to the day-by-day nature of all these little um, injuries that they have throughout the forward group. Obviously, Tyler Bertuzzi still has not skated. Um, but beyond that, you know, they, they've just had more guys who are a little nicked up. And, and so certainly with the way they handled Giovanni Smith, I fully anticipate that they would rather have uh, Evgeny Sveshnikov playing games uh, in the AHL and sitting on the taxi squad. You know, they, they kind of made that switch with Smith and Sveshnikov and you know, this would be me completely baselessly speculating, but part of me wonders, is that because, okay, they don't want anyone to really go like two to three weeks without playing. Like it would have been if they just kept Smith up. So maybe they just made that little rotation where they're both guys that they'd be comfortable putting in the lineup if they need them. Um, but they're not going to have Giovanni just sit for three total weeks. Maybe they just make that one flip. Now, could you argue that they just should have done that with like Riley Barber? Sure. You could, you know, Riley Barber is not really an NHL prospect, but he's also a very important piece in GR and, um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've had people ask me all week to rationalize this and I, it's not, I, I don't have an answer for you. Like I didn't, 
uh, I didn't have an answer when, when I was asked this weekend. And so um, I still don't, I, I asked today what, you know, if it would be fair to expect that he'd be back in the HL in short order and was basically told uh, it'll be kind of day to day, day to day, which I, I think is a pretty clear parallel with, with the kind of health of the forwards overall. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if now that uh, the wings uh, waived Franz Nielsen and he cleared waivers and he goes down to the a taxi squad, although I haven't necessarily seen them officially assign him to the taxi squad. I suspect that's exactly what uh, is happening here. Potentially that clears an opportunity for Svechnikov to play, um, you know, with him already being on the taxi squad, it is uh, kind of a much quicker uh, call up to, to game time scenario here. I suspect that if he is going to play tomorrow, you'll see that information kind of earlier in the day. Um, you know, cause again, they'll leave him for today for the purposes of cap calculation. And then tomorrow you could potentially, um, call him up to play. That would be my guess. Um, cause you know, if you've got Franz Nielsen down in the taxi squad and you don't have Tyler Bertuzzi back, uh, sure. The wings could run 11 and seven, um, or they could potentially insert Svechnikov in. I mean, they ran 11 and seven the other night. Um, so it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Um, but it, just as well, you could go with Svechnikov in and to go 12 and six. Well, so if Nemestikov though is back, then they would not need to go 11 and seven um, that way. Right, right, so, right. so at that point, what I wonder is, is, you know, Nielsen gets waived. He can go on the taxi squad. That allows you to keep your minimum of four on the taxi squad, even once you've recalled Brome into the lineup because they keep him on the yo-yo for, for cap purposes. Um, that would allow you to keep your minimum on the taxi squad and potentially send Svechnikov down. Um, but you know, I'm, I feel bad. I, I wish I had like that one answer, like with Smith, it was, it was roster management. I can say that for, for certain, they just wanted the flexibility or sorry, not for Smith for, for waving to Kaiser. That was asset management. They just wanted to be able to uh, roster management. They wanted to have the freedom to call people up and down without needing to have Smith holding that spot on that taxi squad. So they could go let him go play some games in GR. I just don't have that clear of an answer for you on um, Svechnikov. Yeah, it's just it's a really delicate and difficult situation to understand. All right, um, what do we got here? Brad Jewell asked about something that we already kind of touched on, but is there anything else you want to add about? He asked, "How would delaying the 2021 draft potentially benefit the Red Wings?" I obviously talked about that from the perspective of the second round and the potential, um, you know, the benefit of the you know, extra information in the second round. Is there any other way you see this really benefiting the Red Wings? No, I mean, if if it happens, it's not confirmed to be happening by any means. Yeah. I think if you're an NHL team and you trust in your scouts, then yeah, always having more opportunity to see these guys would be uh, beneficial. I mean, especially if you believe in the guys that you have in your building to uh, go out, scout the right guys, identify the right talents and and such and such. I think uh, having the opportunity to see another year of development, um, see more of their games, kind of piece together how they grow physically uh, for one more year. I think that is hugely beneficial. Um, Now you can argue from the reverse standpoint that if uh, you aren't as confident in your team or hypothetically everyone's of average uh, talent, then it doesn't really matter uh, in the sense then, because if everyone's equally good at identifying players, then whether you have it now or have it a year later, presuming that you kind of maintain similar uh, ability, then then it doesn't really change anything. So uh, I think if you're the wings, you're you're absolutely going to say, yeah, we got the best guys possible in house to to identify talent, and delaying the draft gives me the best shot at finding it. But 
remains to be seen if that actually plays out that way. Josh, uh, I guess Murdoch asks, will we see Cider this year? And if we don't, will he start next year with the Red Wings? Uh, you will not see him this year. I feel pretty confident in saying that. The the, the timeline, unless Rogla has a first round, first round exit, um, I don't think there's any way he gets over here in time. Yeah, I think that's the same thing. Rogla looks extraordinarily good right now. Um, I have a hard time seeing them flame out in the playoffs in time for Satter to come back over. And then, you know, especially given the the quarantine restrictions that would also have to happen, uh, I just don't see it working out. And then uh, Zyler asks, if the Red Wings keep executing Jeff Leschel's system and still losing, is there a real risk the players stop buying it? Yeah, I think we kind of briefly touched on this one as well a couple uh, episodes ago, and you know, in terms of whether or not the system is detrimental to to player development. I mean, hey, if you got through last season where you were playing his system and losing horrifically and you didn't get the players to stop buying in, uh, I don't necessarily see that happening. When you are getting the really good defensive results, you're just not scoring right now. So I, if it didn't happen last year, I can't see that it's going to happen this year. I, I, first of all, I guess I just, I tend to agree with you. I don't think there really is a, maybe if you're getting blown out doing it, but if that's true, you're not really executing it most likely. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're well aware of what the, their team situation is and um, they, they're playing a system that puts them in tight games. It is a step forward from last year. I, I frankly, I think the buy-in looks to me pretty good. So I, I would not say it's been that big of a risk and that's with them mostly losing uh, so far this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if the buy-in is getting you the fifth best defensive results right now, then I think the buy-in looks pretty good. Uh, Acting Secretary of Malarkey says you can add one player from another organization to Red Wings rebuild. This player is a full-time NHL or not a prospect anymore, but cannot have already been an all-star. Will you add him? Oh, that's a tough question. So, um, hmm. Well, like Jack Hughes hasn't been an all-star, so can I say Jack Hughes? Like, I, I mean, I know, that feels a little I, cheap. I mean, I suppose you could say Jack Hughes. Uh, I guess it depends on what your definition of a prospect is. I mean, Jack Hughes is um, certainly a reasonable guy to say. I'm trying to think of, you know, something a little more, uh, I guess, challenging here. Um, How about Anthony Beauvillier? I really like his game. I thought he looked great in the playoffs last year and and, and not not in the kind of way that most people – Usually there's like a guy who's like good in the playoffs, but that means he doesn't do anything in other situations. I really yeah, like Yeah, I think I'm going to add Andre Svechnikov. I think. So that's uh, along the Hughes lines. Yeah, uh, he's a couple years ahead of Hughes. So you know, I think Svechnikov was on my all-star ballot last year. Yeah, but he wasn't on all the all-star ballots, Max. So therefore I get to take Andre <laughs> Svechnikov and therefore. And I don't. Because <laughs> I put him on my team. I know. Because, uh. <laughs> I mean, Svechnikov is outstanding. So I think, yeah, you pick a guy like Svechnikov, you pick a guy like, um, you know, was Elias Pettersson on the All-Star team last year? I mean, he's another guy you can think about. So uh, I don't think he was an All-Star last year, if I remember correctly. So, oh, no, he was. He's been on actually the last two. So you'd have to throw him out. But um, Andre Svechnikov would be the way to go, I think. Yeah, I, I have a hard time disagreeing with that. He's an awesome player and super fun, super fun player to watch, too. Yeah, I mean, maybe we get some interesting goals. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll close on this one then. And it is a bit of a short episode today. That is basically because, as you heard, I have a, a very restless dog vying for my attention right now. And I need to attend to that. So uh, Alex Seaman says, what's for dinner? It's a good question. 
Um, probably going to have some nachos here in some fashion. I'm deciding between, I've got a bunch of ground turkey in the fridge. So I'm deciding between sloppy joes and tacos. Uh, and then I'll have some kind of like asparagus or, or something on the side. Look at you being all healthy. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's overdue. So <laughs> it's more like forced healthiness at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, I'm not sure that anyone's ever called sloppy joes health food before. I mean, you said asparagus. And so in my mind, <laughs> green... The green cancels out whatever else you said before it. So also it is ground turkey. Like I'll I'll take some points for that. Yeah, I mean that's healthy stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. There we go. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for us then today. A little bit of shorter episode, but uh, I'm sure we'll make it up to you at some point in the future. And uh, enjoy the rest of the games. Red Wings play twice this week. Two games against Nashville uh, Tuesday, Thursday. Obviously, that's the team that we had some success against uh, last time they played them. So we'll, we'll see if that keeps up. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.